probably want your phone. There you go. We want to welcome you to the house of the Lord, all of you joining us also online. God is good, amen. We've been looking at men of the kingdom following a series of uh, many weeks, probably eight weeks on the invisible kingdom and the kingdom keys. When Jesus came, he started doing things different than anybody had ever seen any man do on earth. Uh, the Pharisees were dumbfounded by his knowledge and by his power. And uh, John, actually the forerunner of Jesus, his own cousin, John the Baptist, said that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And Jesus, when he came, said the kingdom of heaven is among you. And he showed us how to walk and live in the kingdom. And as we saw in the video, uh, by the way, that was Steve Hill, who was the evangelist at the Brownsville Revival for many years down in Florida, that uh, was the voice on that video. When he would be done with a message, you wouldn't have to wonder what he said, and you would be convicted of where you were with what he said. And in that particular message, he was calling about men of God to arise. And uh, today, we're going to look at another portion of what it means to be a kingdom man or a man of God's kingdom. And I've titled this today, Men of the Kingdom, Dominion. Everybody say dominion. When a man becomes a man of God's kingdom and he operates with the keys of the kingdom, he receives authority that is delegated to him by God. And that authority allows him to act on behalf of God in history and establish history. I've been using the illustration of a referee in the NFL. Some of you may go home today and watch a football game. And on that game, you'll see a home team and a visiting team. And the team that's visiting wants to knock out the home team. And we often think there's only two teams on the field, but we know that there are three teams on the field because there's the home team, the visitor team, and the official team, the referees. And those referees are smaller, uh, older, uh, weaker, and slower than all of those other players that are on the field, yet the people who have the most authority on the field are the men in the black and white stripes. Because they have been given authority by the commissioner of the NFL, and they have to follow a book called the rule book of the NFL, and they will say whether this is right or whether this is wrong. And you're going to find, if you watch a game today, there will most likely be somebody that gets a foul or gets a flag thrown on them, and they're going to argue that they didn't do that. Well, I want you to know that there will come a day very real like that when somebody may want to argue with God. But I just want you to know today that God has books. He has books, the Bible says, that He writes in. There is one book, and you want to be a part of this book, and that is the book of life. Because the Bible says whoever's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life will not make heaven. Um, those of you that have been coming to discipleship, uh, we're going to look at a little bit of that next week at the great white throne judgment. And everybody that's at that judgment, none of their names are in the Lamb's book of life. When God created Adam, He tells Adam in chapter 1, rule. Take dominion, subdue the earth. That means to conquer, to bring into subjection. Now, the reason that God said that is because God decided to do most of what He does. Hear this. God decided to do most of what He does based on the decisions we make. That's why God did not stop Adam from eating the fruit. 
Because it was Adam's decision. People will ask the question, well, why didn't God just keep him from doing it? Well, let me ask you parents a question. Have you ever told your children not to do something and were unable to keep them from doing it? Just like God. You see, God will let you have your choice for Him or against Him. If you choose for Him, hear this, He joins with you. If you choose against Him, you're on your own. But you do get to rule. You get to rule your body. You get to rule what you put in it. You get to rule your own mind. You get to rule what you think. You get to rule what you do. You get to rule where you go, who you live for, and on and on. And what God is calling kingdom men, men of the kingdom to do in this series of messages is to rule as men of his kingdom on this earth, just like Jesus prayed and taught us how to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On this earth, where we live, just as it's being done in heaven. And the awesome thing about being a man of the kingdom is that now it's not just on you. God must now stand with you and for you and in support of you because you have made the decision to stand with him. Pause, insert amen right there. Amen. Now, if you will capture that, that will cause you to live bold, just like a lion. Did you know, if you were here last week, you heard me say this, but a lion's roar can be heard for up to five miles. When a lion roars, he is roaring, and, and what he is saying is, when he roars, this is lionese, this is my house. And that big cat is going all around, he's saying, this is my territory. I believe it's time for kingdom men to roar. Can you say amen? And it's time for us to let it be known. This is God's house. It's time for us men of God to say, hey, America is God's land. It's time for the men of God to say from, from California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream water, this land is God's land. Come on, somebody. You know, a lot of men want to change the White House when they can't even change their own house. It's time for kingdom men to rise up like a lion and begin to roar and say to the devil, this is divine territory and hell cannot invade this. And if hell is already invading you, you want to go after hell. You see, the righteous, the Bible says, are bold as a lion and the gates of hell, which are not offensive, by the way. Gates are made to keep the enemy out. The gates of hell will not prevail, the Bible says, Jesus said that, against those who will not let that enemy encroach in their territory. There are things today accepted that were not accepted 40 years ago. There are things preached from pulpits that was never preached 40 years ago. And I can tell you who changed, and it wasn't this book. It was the people behind the pulpit. There has to be a rule book. In the NFL, or there's chaos every Sunday, or every Saturday, or every Friday, whether you're the NFL, the NCAA, or high school. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Same in basketball, same in baseball. Why do you have an umpire? Because you need somebody to tell you, not that if, if it's five feet off the base, everybody can tell that. But if it's a quarter inch over the left-hand side, that batter's going to go, hey, that was a ball. But you got an ump. 
You got an umpire. You got a guy who's like, no, no, no. I saw it with my eye. You didn't see it with yours. You're standing there. I'm standing behind you, and I'm seeing that. Amen? We need an umpire. That umpire is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never violate what God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit wrote through holy men of God. You see, what this looks like today is it's just like when Satan entered the the serpent and he slinked into the garden in order to disrupt the first family. Enemies of righteousness are currently slinking into America, into our schools, right among our children, into our homes, and they're coming to deceive our children, coming to deceive our young people, coming to deceive our society, lying to our kids, confusing our kids. Telling them not, they're not really who they are. Listen, everybody listening today, you have a divine destiny, whether you're male, whether you're female, a divine place where God has placed you, and you have an enemy that, notice this, 1 Peter 5, 8, I want you to see this before we get, before we get into the scriptures. The Bible says, be sober-minded. Look over at your neighbor and say, let's be sober Be sober-minded and alert. How many of you believe there needs to be alertness going on today? Your adversary, Lord, who is that? The devil. What does he do? He prowls around, now we really want you to mark this, like a roaring lion. That's a very important word. It doesn't say he prowls around as a roaring lion. He prowls around like. It doesn't say he is one. He acts like one. I'll tell you who the lion is. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. And he told us to be bold as a lion. See, all the devil can do is counterfeit. All the devil can do is take what's already there and twist it. Be sober-minded, alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, and this is his goal, seeking someone to devour. Your enemy is trying to imitate your authority. Men, he is trying to imitate you with his roar. Now notice, he's not a lion, but he wants to act like a lion. He's faking it. He's trying to copy what God told you to do. You see, Proverbs 28 and verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You see, when we try, when the devil tries to cause us to run away in fear, we've got to stand up and say, No, the word of God says, I'm bold as a lion. You are acting like a lion, seeking someone to devour, but you can't devour me. So that means when he tries to come up to you, he's toothless. He's like, the best he can do is gum you. And I never heard of anybody dying from getting gummed to death. Amen? Now turn over to the book of Joshua chapter 1. In that passage, that's going to be my main text. We could probably just go home right now because that's been good preaching right now from the Word of God. That's not me. That's just God. In chapter 1 of the book of Joshua, we have a biblical account of the preparation of Israel to enter into the promised land. They had an inheritance. God had promised them. They had a divine destiny. Say, I have a destiny. Israel had a destiny, but they hadn't arrived yet. They hadn't gotten there yet because they had not decided to live unto God. You see, they hadn't gotten there, not because of God. They hadn't gotten there because they hadn't decided whether or not they're going to live for God. Now, I want you to consider their leader. Moses has been their leader for 40 years. When Moses took over, he's 80. So anybody that says life is done at 80, just look at Moses. It's not done. At the age of 40, he goes into the wilderness because he's killed a man trying to do what God wanted him to do in his way, and he kills an Egyptian, and he runs away from Pharaoh, and he's in the backside of a desert for 40 years to you to learn meekness. 
And he does a really good job of it because God himself calls him the meekest man on the earth. And after 40 years, after he shows up in a a, a burning bush, God shows up as a fire in a burning bush, and he calls Moses to go do now what he's called him to do because he's ready. And we know he's ready because he's like, Lord, I, I can't even speak. I stutter. He's like, yeah, but I want to use you. He said, but use my brother. He can talk better than me. He's like, okay, I'll use him to speak, but I'm going to still use you. And God uses him. He shows him what he can do with a rod. He shows him what he can do with, with a man who will be under his authority. And Moses follows after God. And all of a sudden, he's gone. He's led these people through this wilderness, and they're a stiff-necked people. I mean, honestly, there are several times through there, it, it was good. It wasn't David Drew back in those days, because I just said, Lord, just go ahead and, you want to take him out? Go ahead. That, I'm done. Moses, he got on his face. And he would say, Lord, please don't. God wanted to take him out. He's like, Lord, Lord, please don't. What will the enemy do? You brought us this far. Please don't leave us. But I'm not going to go unless you go before me. God showed him his glory like no man ever got to see. He comes off the mount. His face is shining. He's got the Ten Commandments. He's doing everything God's called him to do. But we have here a biblical account where they're supposed to be in their destiny, and they won't go yet because they haven't decided to live unto God. And church, listen to me. That is where we are in America today. A lot of people today don't want to live unto God. So we come to Joshua 1 today, and God is giving Joshua guidance for operating in the dominion that he has given him. And I want to explain today three stages. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. There are three stages of God leading you to your destiny. He will take you through these stages as a man of the kingdom. And the first stage is stage one, and this is deliverance. Deliverance is where they had to get out of Egypt. Now, Egypt is a type of sin. Deliverance is salvation. That's where you are delivered from sin. You have to be delivered from sin. If you're going to be a man of the kingdom, you have to be delivered from sin. You've got to leave Egypt, which is a type of sin. Secondly, stage two, after deliverance, is development. And development, sorry to tell you this, is the wilderness. Moses went to the wilderness. I got news for you. So did Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's the one that led him there. See, a lot of times we don't want to go through the wilderness and we rebuke the wilderness, but it's God that takes us through the wilderness because there's things we can't learn except through the wilderness. And guess what? Moses had to go through it twice. 40 years at a time. Now, this is another message, but 40 is a number of testing. Moses was in the wilderness. Jesus was in the wilderness. Paul went to the wilderness. John the Baptist was in the wilderness. We all must go to the wilderness for stage two development. It is the ups and downs, church, of the dry times. How many know what I'm talking about? You see, the wilderness isn't fun, but it is crucial. Look at your neighbor and say, it's crucial. And there is no man who has reached his destiny without going through the wilderness. You can't make it to the promised land if you're not willing to go through the dry land. Because you won't trust God in the promised land if you're not willing to trust God in the dry land. You will not trust God when you seem if you can't trust God when you don't. And we've all had times when we don't see God. So if you are currently in the wilderness, that's bad news, but it's also good news. The bad news is it doesn't feel good. The good news is it's taking you somewhere. 
Everybody look at your neighbor and say, development. Stage three is destiny. This is where we all want to be. And God let Joshua know, I am taking you somewhere. And that somewhere has everything in it that he needs. And it's already provided. It's already there. They know it's already there because he, he knows it's already there because he was one of the 12 sent to spy out the land as a young man, 40 years younger. He and another man named Caleb were the only ones that came back and said, we can do this, guys. I want you to look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. This is good news for kingdom men. Everything that you need for where God is taking you, you already have. Pastor, is there a scripture? Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What are we called to pray? Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You've just got to get it from there into your life. Everything God is ever going to give you, you already have. But you have to get it. You have to receive it. This Christmas time, there's going to be gifts probably given to you. But if you never open them, you won't know what's in them. But it's already been provided for you. But you have to do something about it. See, Christmas is more just about giving. You also have to receive. A lot of people are good at giving. Not as many are good at receiving. You have to receive it. Amen? Say this, God will give it, but I have to get it. A lot of people want God to give it, but they don't want to get it. So guess what? They don't receive it. Why aren't people in their destiny? They don't receive it. Or they shortchange it, saying, I'm not going to go through the wilderness. We're not going to get your destiny. See, God says in the promised land, they're already provisioned. It's flowing with milk and honey. There are wells you did not dig. There are houses you did not build. There are fields you did not plow. But they're all there sitting ready for you. Now, question, how did those fields get plowed? How did those houses get built? How did those wells get dug? Well, you look at Scripture, it was the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites. Well, if you keep reading, when they go to the promised land, they're the enemy. So in other words, by the sinners. The sinners prepared the ground. The sinners dug the wells. The sinners built the houses. God let the sinners set it up so the saints could pick it up. Listen, God will even use what the devil does to set up stuff for you, just like he did with Joseph of old when he got sold into slavery, which set him up to be ultimately the second in command of all Egypt. Now, there are four principles we're going to find here in Joshua chapter 1. Look at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Everybody say it. Moses is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Moses, let's go back to the verse, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Say that again out loud. Do you know what I have to say about this? Do you know what God is saying about this? He is saying to him, you have to get over Moses. You have to get beyond Moses. Moses was great. Moses was important. Moses got you to where you are. 
But Moses was yesterday. God does not let Joshua go to his tomorrow until his yesterday dies. Too many men today are tethered to yesterday. They're like a tether ball. You remember the tether ball on the on the field on the the, 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 the playground? It's that ball that meant I always thought, man, I could kick that thing a lot farther than I could ever hit it on that stupid rope. And that thing is smack you in the head. And I'd also get a foul. I always get a foul with the rope on my wrist. I'm like, I just want to cut the ball off and kick it. That would be funner. God wants to take you off the tether rope. There are so many men tethered to yesterday. Regrets from yesterday. They're in bars all over Phoenix today trying to drown those regrets. Sins from yesterday or successes from yesterday. How many know some guys, they've never grown up since high school? Man, if only coach would have put me in, I'm telling you what, we'd have taken state. Yeah, man, I mean, man, and, and, and they're, they're 58 years old. It's like, dude, that was four decades ago. Who were you even playing? When it comes to yesterday, have Memorial Day. How about that? You know, go out every now and then and go to the grave. You know, visit your yesterday. Have some good memories. And then get on with your life because, church, the devil, he, he will keep you in yesterday. And if he will keep you in yesterday, he will thwart you moving today and on into tomorrow. Moses is a great guy. But he's gone. And now that he's gone, God says, we got to get up and move. Now, all of you today that came here in a vehicle, you're going to go out here in just a little bit. And you're going to look at something called a rearview mirror. And the rearview mirror of that vehicle is very important. Amen? When you back up, you will look in that rearview mirror. You will see what is behind you. But after you back up, you will put your vehicle in drive and you will go forward to your destination. Now, do me a favor, a big favor. On that drive to your destination, don't spend too much time in your rearview mirror. Or you're going to hurt somebody. Because your rearview mirror is to glance at, not to drive in. On your way home, there is a much bigger piece of glass called the windshield Because where you're going is a lot bigger than where you came from. See, if you keep looking back at yesterday, all you'll be tomorrow is older in the same spot. Yesterday will destroy you, whether it's your good yesterday, your bad yesterday, or your ugly yesterday. You know? When, when, when When we look at the good... We hate the good, or we, we, we enjoy the good. But when we look at the bad, we hate the bad, the ugly, the regrets. Well, what is the good? The good is your successes, all the great things that have happened to you. You know, you should appreciate those. You should be thankful for those, as I said earlier. But that was yesterday. And, and it, if the only thing we can talk about, about what God is doing in our life, is what he did yesterday, that means he's not relevant to you today. He tells us that his mercies are new every single morning. You got to go and get them. You got to let yesterday go, even the good yesterday. The bad stuff. What's the bad stuff, Pastor? The bad stuff are the sins. They're the mistakes. Those are the errors, those regrets. You wish you hadn't done them, but you did them. You wish you hadn't said that, but you did say that. You wished you, you hadn't put yourself in that position. And there are regrets. But do you know something about God? God can hit the bullseye with a crooked stick. 
That crooked stick being the men that he's chosen to use down through the sands of time. I mean, think about when you look at the men in the Bible that he used, it's hard to find even one who didn't mess up. Now, that doesn't give you permission to go and mess up because everybody who messed up received consequences for messing up. Abraham had a divided house with Ishmael and Isaac because he messed up. Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer and an adulterer. But the good news is, even those who messed up, when they got right with God again, God was able to take the mess and create a miracle. So if you had a messed up yesterday, don't let it drag on and become a messed up tomorrow. Then there's the ugly. The good, the bad, the ugly. That's all the stuff that happened to you that was negative, but it wasn't your fault. Some of you have had a lot of this happen to you. It wasn't your fault. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were fired unfairly. Maybe your parents divorced. You're caught in the middle. You were the one hurt. Some people are living in that still. It wasn't your fault, but it still hurt. Listen, you got to let go of that too. The beautiful thing about God is that he can do some beautiful stuff with ugly. That's why one of my favorite accounts in the Bible is about Joseph. Joseph had a destiny. He had dreams. God gave him dreams as a young man. He told those dreams to the wrong people, but God gave him dreams nonetheless, dreams that that were direct from heaven, and one of those was that his brothers would all bow before him, and he foolishly told them about it. They heard this dream, and they got mad at him, and they sold him into slavery. How many would say that's ugly? When they sold him into slavery, he ends up in Potiphar's house, and guess what? God is with him. And what happens is, is he is elevated over the entire house, but then Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, and he runs away, so this wicked woman lies, says he raped her, that's ugly. So he gets sent to prison. That's not right. That's not fair. But even in prison, he gets elevated in prison and interprets a couple guys' dreams, and one of the guys dies, and the other guy, he's actually a cupbearer to the Pharaoh, and that guy, he gets released And Joseph says, remember me, though, okay? Well, he forgets about him. And Joseph has to stay in prison longer. How many say that's even uglier? And all the while, he is innocent. Church, he was 17 years old when his brother sold him into slavery. He is 30 years old before he is released from prison to go interpret Pharaoh's dream. So for 13 years, Joseph is having ugly happen to him. Yet if you read this account of him in Genesis chapter 37 through verse chapter 50, you will read a passage and you will read this phrase. You will read this over and over, over again several times, and it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. So there's ugly happening, but the Lord was with Joseph, and in the end, his brothers come to Egypt during the famine. They're looking for food, and after a few exchanges, Joseph reveals who he is after they've bowed down to him. And you know what? As I read the story over, I started counting how many times they bowed down to him. It was more than one, church. They bowed down to him five times throughout these passages. And then he says this to his brothers. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring me to this place. Do you know how many people were higher up in Egypt than Joseph? One. Pharaoh. Even the dude in the prison whose dream he interpreted, he's over him. God will get it to you if God can get it through you. 
In other words, God let you sell me, brothers, into slavery so I could go to Potiphar's house. God let me be called a rapist and be sent to prison so that the king could have a dream, so that I could interpret that dream. So I would be second in command and be over all the storehouses of food in Egypt so that when the famine came to the land and you, my brothers, became hungry, I would be in a position to feed you. And God used it all to lead me to this place. You got to let the past go. Number two, you got to receive your inheritance. Are you still with me? Look at verses 3 and 4. God says, every place that your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. So God begins to tell him, this is going to be your territory everywhere you put your foot. You know, in our men's room, we have this uh, motion detector light so that when you walk into the room, the light turns on. And after a while, if there is no movement, the light will turn off. If there's no movement, the lights will not come on. But not because there's no power, not because there's no provision, it's because there is no movement. Once it detects the treading of the foot, that someone is moving, what they have power to do, those lights, and what they have provision with the electricity coming to them to do, gets done when someone else moves. If you're talking about it, if you're thinking about it, if you're hoping about it, but you don't move... You can hope to be in the promised land, think about being the promised land, talk about being the promised land, but if you do not move, you will not see God light up your destiny because God responds to motion. God responds to faith. Faith is your motion. Motion, whenever God does something significant with a man in the Bible, it's after the man moves, not before. For instance, God's going to open up the Red Sea. What does he say to Moses? Stretch out your rod. If Moses had not responded in faith and stretched out that rod like God said, even though he had the power to do it, the Israelites would have been slaughtered by the armies of Egypt. Not only that, but if you keep reading in Joshua, God tells him to cross the Jordan River when it's at flood stage, and he says when the priests come to the edge of the Jordan River, they must stand still in the Jordan. Then I will part the Jordan, and the children of Israel will cross over to the promised land. You see, church, it wasn't until they stepped out in faith in the midst of a dangerously flowing Jordan River did they see the miracle of God opening up the situation. My question to us today is, could it be that we have not discovered our destiny because God's not seen anything moving in our feet? That is, we have not responded to what He wants us to do in the situation. Your measure of faith is by your feet, not by your feelings. The book of James says, faith, if it has no works, is dead. Show me your faith by what you do. Listen to me, church. The demons believe in God. They have faith in God to know that he's real. They know God is real, but they don't live like there's a God. You see, they believe and tremble. That's what the Bible says. But they don't believe and work for him. They chose to not work for him. Their faith is of no effect. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. You can can feel full of faith and have no faith. You can feel no faith and be full of faith. But the way you know whether it's real faith is what way are your feet moving? 
You see, if your feet are not moving in obedience to what God calls you to do, whether it's to speak to somebody, whether it's to give something, whether it's to go somewhere, whether it's to do something, whatever it is, God is looking for you to move. And if your feet are not moving in obedience to what God calls for, then you will not see the supernatural enter the natural. You'll just stay in the natural. You'll never see heaven visit earth. He said, tread your foot, walk, and everywhere you go, I'm going to give it to you. The third thing I want to say is focus on God, not people. Stop this focusing on people. Stop the, focusing on the, 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 the good people and stop focusing on the bad people. We in America have got to stop putting our focus in people. You know, church, I love y'all. But I am not putting my focus on you. I'm putting my focus on him. Because here's what's happened. Here's what will happen if I put my focus on you. If I put my focus on one of you, I'm doing what you want me to do. And lo and behold, there's going to be somebody else in the room that they want something different. So I put my focus on them, and I do what they want me to do. And if I do what they want me to do, and I'm not doing what the first person wanted me to do, the first person can get upset. But if I just do what God calls me to do, it ought to be good for everybody. You see, you got to focus on God and not people. Look at verses 5 through 6. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. No man can stand against you. But this is what he says. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to your fathers to give them. Be strong and courageous. That's just like a lion. Just like a lion is. In other words, don't let the size of the people problem stop you from your progress. You see, the reason they didn't enter the promised land the first time was because of people. Ten negative men. They said, we're grasshoppers before these giants. We can't do this. We can't do that. We're nobodies. They looked at the situation. They let the situation dictate their movement. Many people in our culture today are doing the same thing. Looking at the situation, looking at the, listen to the loud voices of the seeming giants of this sinful world around us dictating their movement as God's people. God tells Joshua, you be strong, be courageous. I am echoing to you what God told Joshua. Church, be strong. Go out there today and be courageous. You never allow people to have the final say-so in your life as a kingdom man, as a kingdom woman. Why? Because the same reason a giant of a lineman doesn't get the final say-so over the referee. It's time to stop letting people's power, people's money, people's prestige be king when we have our own king. It is our king who makes the final decisions in our lives. That's what David does with Goliath. Goliath is a giant, nine foot six inch, and a champion. He is the reigning heavyweight champion of the world. David is 15 years old. David is a shepherd. He's ready. He's a wiry shepherd, however, though. He's already killed a lion and a bear. He's got that in his arsenal. And he stands up to this champion sinner who, who, who ridicules the people of God, and many are doing that today, and he says, this man stands up and he says, he says, you know what, I am going to make you like, I'm going to give your flesh, I'm going to kill you and make your flesh, I'm going to give it to the birds and the wild beasts of the field. And David says, bring it on. He said, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I come to you in the name of the God who is a personal God to me. I know him. He walks with me. He gave me the power to take out the lion. He gave me the power to take out the bear. And he said, you know what? You have taunted my God, that God of Israel today you have taunted, and today the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will remove your head from you. Oh, yeah, and also, it'll be me who uh, is feeding 
your dead body as well as all those other guys over there beside you. Uh, we're going to feed those soldiers in your Philistine army to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. And when I'm done, the whole earth will know that the Lord, our God, is God. And that's exactly what happened. But I want you to notice something. David, God hadn't told David all those things. David spoke all those things. David declared, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I will deliver you. I will strike you down. And I'm going to remove your head from you. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. David only had with him a sling and five stones. How was he going to remove Goliath's head? He did it with Goliath's own sword. Fourth thing, final thing. I'm closing. Verses 7 and 8. You got to stay in the book. You got to stay in the book. You got to know the book. We got to know the word. He says only, and he says it again be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success. Wherever you go, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It's got to be in our mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night. That's the only way it can be in your mouth. It's got to be in your mind. It's got to be in your heart. So that you may be careful. Everybody say be careful. You've got to be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. I want to shout a message to America today. God will never contradict His Word. The Word of God is the rule book. And the Word of God, when acted on, has power and it works. Now listen to me like you have four ears on your head. Double stereo. Kingdom men first ask this question. What does God say about the matter? Whether we're voting, whether we're talking, What we look at, what we listen to, what does God say about this? You know, one thing I've learned is men, they don't like instructions. Let me prove it. Men, if you get something that you have to put together in the mail, or you buy it at Walmart and you come home with that box of stuff, how many of you read the instructions? See, men by nature don't like to be told what to do. They don't like to be told while to drive. They don't be, like to be told how to build a bike. In fact, one guy, uh, I heard this week, one guy shared a story. Of, of It took him eight hours on one Christmas Eve trying to put together this bike. After eight hours, I mean, Santa Claus coming to town, man. I mean, you got to hurry up. And he still isn't done. And finally, 
His wife's like, well, have you read the instructions? And he finally humbled himself, and he read the instruction book. And guess what? In 45 minutes, the bike was built. What he couldn't do in eight hours because he ignored the written word, he did in 45 minutes because he read it. you got to stay in the book. Why are Christians doing things that non-Christians are doing? They're not in the book. You see, God's Word is life-giving and life-making. He knows more about life-making and life-giving than you, your dad, your grandpa, your great-grandpa, all put together. And if you will stay in the book, He will stay with you all the days of your life. In church, He will lead you to your promised land. Amen? This is good stuff. I've just decided i got to do what God says to do, even if it takes me a little longer than normal. Amen? You know, I, I do, I remember, it feels warm in here, but I remember, I remember as a little kid, I would be like, man, when is he going to quit? It was like an hour and a half. And he's still up there. I mean, he's just moving, and the power of God's flowing. And, but you know what? People were getting saved, people being brought under the power of God, people getting filled with the Holy Spirit. There was revival going on. Amen. And you know what? When I was a kid, we didn't have kids' church. I didn't, I didn't grow up with children's church. I grew up in the pew. I, I grew up listening to the big sermons. Amen. I'm not saying we don't need kids' church and all that sort of thing, but I'm just saying you can learn the Word because God's made it so simple, even a five-year-old can understand it. Amen. Well, i got to let you go. I love you guys. It's a great day to be alive. Listen, men of God, stand up, take dominion, Go out there this week with the power of God and be the lion you're called to be. Amen? Love you guys. Ladies, we're still going to get to you later on. Amen? God bless you. Love you all. Man.